This is the third in our series on witnesses to the resurrection, and we've uh, gone taken quite a journey so far, and we have a little bit further to go as we prepare for Easter. But before we begin that time, I, I just want to do a call out to those of you that are men in our group. Uh, this coming Friday night, starting at seven o'clock till three o'clock on Saturday afternoon, uh, you are invited. Actually, I would like to invite you, twenty of you. Uh, to join me and a number of other guys together to spend 20 hours together. 20 guys, 20 hours together. And we're going to have fun together. We're going to talk about some critical issues in, in life. I want to share a number of things with you in a context that's just laid back. And I trust that um, we will get to know each other better that way. And um, we anticipate that this is something that we would like to continue to do. But uh, there are slots for 20. I think a number of them are filled out. Filled up. Uh, I had one guy say, you know, well, I have to look and see what uh, is on the calendar for next week. And uh, the person said, so what your wife has on the calendar? And I would just say to those of you who are wives out there, you know what, maybe you can just push that back a little bit. Uh, because we would love to be able to spend some time together uh, learning what God has to say to us. So would you join me as we pray now and we look into God's word? God, we are so thankful for the power of your word and for the impact of lives lived long before us that saw who you were and followed. We want to be those same people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you know that this past week uh, I was with a number of other guys. We went to Guatemala. I mean, we went to Haiti and uh, spent a few days at a conference with pastors and their wives. And while we were there together, we had downtime. We had conversations with uh, some of these couples about the challenges that they were being faced with. And I had a slot that uh, we didn't have enough translators, so I just kind of sat there and waited for a while. And noticed one of the guys on our team was over having a conversation with a husband and wife and a translator. And a woman, a uh, Caucasian woman, so I, I don't know where she was from, but she kind of came over and she sat down right next to Jimmy. Dodd was the guy who was working with him, just right there, kind of right in the, almost in the middle of it. And uh, I was puzzled by that, as was Jimmy, and they finished their conversation, and Jimmy prayed for uh, the two of them. And then this woman got up, and she just started screaming at Jimmy. Uh, and she said, you don't love them. Why are you here? You Christians, you're pathetic. You don't really care. You're trying to get something out of them. And Jimmy and I, back in the room, just were shaking our heads. And, wow, where did that come from? And uh, there may be plenty of stories in her own life experiences that warranted that outburst for her. But it was an outburst that... Um, came from someplace, uh, from this notion that Christians don't necessarily care about other people. They just want to get something from them along the way. Um, and, and when we look at what Jesus says to us as his followers and what, what we read here in this text in John chapter 20 and 21, we realize that God's intention is for us to love other people but the basis for that, the power of us being able to actually love other people rather than get something from them, comes from this profound sense internally that we're loved ourselves. That's what we see in the text. And I want us to talk about that this morning because I think very quickly we launch off into um, let's love other people when the first thing that God wants us to know is that we have been loved. 
That's what we find here in this text where we see here the disciple who Jesus loved, uh, he decided to name himself. Uh, you say, well, well, who was it? And we actually don't ever have him say, it's me, John. But as you look at the text, you can actually see it. There's a little bit of a puzzle here. You say, the Gospel of John, who wrote it? Well, there's a John named in the text some 20 times, and it's John the Baptist. What's notable about John the Baptist here is he's never referred to as John the Baptist. He's simply referred to as John. Every other gospel is John the Baptist. In this gospel, it's just simply John. It's as, it's as if the person who is named John and is the disciple isn't, isn't even designated here, or there's, there's not a recognition of the distinction. There's another John, four times Peter's dad is mentioned, but the disciple John, his name never comes up in this book. And we discover that um, the reason why his name never comes up is because he already has given himself a name, and it's the one that appears here. He has named himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, you can look at that and say, well, that's either arrogant or provocative, and it's actually neither one of those. Have any ever seen the T-shirt or the bumper sticker, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite? <laughs> you know, you, is that kind of what's going on here? Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite, and so I'm going to just let everybody know, hey, you guys, I, I, I'm the big deal in this place, and he loves me more than you. It's kind of the rivalry that happens among siblings, but that's not what we see here. In these two chapters in particular, we see this counterpoint between John and Peter along the way. Peter is the one who is named by Jesus. Remember, you shall be called Peter, for on this rock I will build my church. Peter is the one who is the activist. We read in the Gospel of John is the place where we hear that Peter is the one who cut off the ear of the official. We read that Peter is the one who jumps into the tomb first. They both come up. And then Peter, the activist one, just kind of jumps in. Peter is the one who is described as the rock, but in a culture of community. It wasn't just Peter. It was representative of all of them, either in the building of the church or the declaration that Jesus is the Christ. Whatever it is, Peter gets the name, but it's all of them there. And then John gives himself a name, and it's not just John that gets the name, but it's a representation, it's a statement about all of them as well, too. So Peter gets the name Peter, but it's about them. John gives himself the name, uh, the one whom Jesus loved, but it's about them as well, too. You see, the rock, the, the means by which God builds his church, is going to be the people of the church. But there is another name we bear besides builders of the church of Jesus Christ or expressions of the lordship of Jesus Christ. There is another name that we bear, and it is this, loved. And that's what John wants us to know. His name, other name, never appears in the gospel of John. He's named himself. I am the one. I am one whom Jesus loved. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And there's, a, there's something we need to grasp here, and it's this. What we accomplish will never compare with who we are. What we do will never compare to what we are. There is a name given to Peter that points to the character of one's life, and oftentimes that's what names do. You give someone a name, and you know something about the character of their life. John says, no, I want a name that points to the character of my God. 
It's not going to say a thing about who I am. It's going to say everything about who he is. And there's this balance in our life, really, isn't there, between what it is that we do and who we are. And so oftentimes our tendency is to define our life based on what it is we do. There is the weight in that. What I do is the most significant thing about me. And John just turns the scales back to the weight has to be found in who I am. And that I am loved. I wrestled with this a number of years ago. The church was so gracious. You were so gracious to me to send me away for two months. And uh, the first week, ten days, was just like vacation. And I had a friend of mine describe a sabbatical as, you know, the first week or so is vacation, and then it's detox. And God had a lot of detox to be able to do in my life. It was a season in my life, I didn't even realize it, where so much of who I was was wrapped up in what I did. And the assignment that Hillcrest gave me was to go out, and the intention of my time away was to have nothing to do. And it absolutely messed me up. It just messed me up. I would go to worship services and criticize what was going on and wonder why I, I felt roleless. And I crashed. I was in Santa Barbara, California, one of the most beautiful places in the world. And I didn't care if I woke up the next day. My wife said, I, I just said, I just said, I just don't even care. I mean, I got three daughters and you, and that's, I guess, a reason to stay alive. But it was just this profound crash. And my wife, whose gifts don't encompass the kind of the pastoral nurturing side, and we both know that. And she says, Mark, you know as well as I do. I don't know what to do for you right now. And I, I, just, went to, I just went to the Lord and, and woke up one morning, early, early in the morning, and I realized, you know what this is all about? God's, God creates us to have a purpose in our life. And I've got to get back to my purpose. This stuff about being purposeless, it's just bunk. I've I got to get my drive back and my identity back. And I woke up and I said, I know what I need to do, Beth. I just need to get back to planning. I've got a sermon series I can work through. I've got some books I want to read. I'm going to get ready to go back. And she said, I, I think you ought to talk to your person who's mentoring you. And I got on the phone with this guy, and I explained. I said, I just don't even care if I live. And woke up this morning, and I felt like God was saying to me, you know, just get your game back on. And uh, so I think that's the answer. To which there was this long silence on the other end of the phone. And he finally said, Mark, I don't think you're right. I said, what do you mean I'm not right? He said, I think God wants you to live. In, in, in this sense of your identity not being wrapped up in what you're going to do for Hillcrest. And I said, so you're just telling me I basically need to just cry? And he said, I, I guess so. Okay, how long does that last? <laughs> and he said, I don't know hung up and went into the Starbucks where Beth and I were. And I, I said, Beth, he just said, I need to cry. And I walked out and I went down to the beach. And I cried. And I threw rocks in and just walked along. And I would just weep. And it was days of that. 
I was telling this story to a couple of young men from Wheaton who had, were visiting us a couple months afterwards, and they're brilliant guys. I mean, they, they, they thought about things I could never even imagine thinking about. And, and they just wanted to know what my sabbatical was like, and I described this experience. And they said, so, so what did you learn? And I said, you know what I learned? I learned Jesus loves me. One of the guys looked at me and said, that's it? And I said, yeah, that's it. At at the beginning of who we are, there must be this reality. I am one who Jesus loves. Before, I ever do anything. There are pastors in Haiti scrambling to do the ministry and wives in the case of where we were who were saying, my husband is always out there doing for other people. What does that come from? This grip that God, that God tries to release in our heart that our identity is wrapped up in what we do. And John, who describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, I mean, this is written after all of this is over with. And John sees the power of the Lord who would give his life on the cross for John. And he says, that is who I am. Now, there's one other piece of it that we need to see here. And that is what happens next when Jesus uh, reinstates Peter. We'll talk a little bit about, um, a lot more about that um, next week or the week after. But two times in this text, um, Jesus says to Peter, when Peter says, Okay, so, you know, this this whole thing about what's going on in my life, um, um, what about John? I mean, look at what it says in verses 18 and 19 of 21. Very truly, I tell you, he's speaking to Peter. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And Peter turns and sees the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he says, yeah, yeah, but, but, but why, why are you going to love him more? That's where it gets complicated for us, doesn't it? And we can come to this point where we actually believe that God loves us until we see the way he loves others. And we begin to compare And I see God providing for, blessing, uh, reassuring, strengthening, healing that other person. And you know what? When I see the way he treats other people, I'm not so sure he loves me as much anymore. Have you ever been messed up by that? You know, I thought you loved me, Jesus. But my life is really hard. And I'm not so sure anymore you love me as much as you love him. And Jesus says 
to Peter, what is that to you? And Jesus wants to say to you and to me, what is that to you? Why should it matter what I'm doing for someone else? Why should it matter that their life seems easier? That their health is better? Why should it matter to you? What God does with others must not undermine the truth of his love for us. And Jesus is essentially saying to Peter, if I ask of you what I don't ask of others, is that okay with you? Is it okay for me to have a different purpose for everybody else, for anyone else? You see, that's, I think, the thing that's so hard for us. When I was a kid, I wanted to know, Mom and Dad, I want everything to be fair. If you give them X amount of money, you give it to me. If you give them a present that is such a value, you give it to me. And you realize we see a God here who, who loves us and yet who says, you know what, it's going to be different. And I have a role for your life that's different than the role for your life. And for your life that's different than the role I have for your life. Is that going to be okay with you? Is it possible for you to recognize that it doesn't have anything to do with this reality? I love you. Now, will you keep trusting me? The same call that he had for Peter, I believe that he has for me, and I believe that he has for you. What will the evidence of this sense of being loved look like? I think there are a number of aspects of it, and the first is this. Um, we will be witnesses to the resurrection uh, as witnesses of the reality of God's love for us as the core piece of who we are. Not what we do, not what he does for someone else. I am a disciple and Jesus loves me. I think there are at least three pieces of this. The first is contentment. There will be a sense of contentment in my life in regards to who I am. Not this kind of religiosity that is Nate was telling uh, uh, us about this week in regards to Guatemala where you've just got to earn the approval of the gods in order to worship the God. In order to get anything from God, you've got to get on your knees and you've got to crawl towards him. Realize, you know what? It's not that way. It, it, I, I am loved from the get-go. I think of when my kids were born. And I think of when I first held Kate in my arms and, and, and my life was totally changed. I was her dad. There's nothing she had done. And it, there, would not, there would be nothing she would ever have to do. She's just loved by me. I will do anything for her. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God holds you in his arms with a sense of love? And of your preciousness that nothing will ever change. Evidence of that is a sense of contentment. When, when we are loved, it is enough for a lifetime. And then there's another aspect of it, and it is trust. If God holds my life in his hands, as long as I can be sure that he's loving me, and I can as I see who he is in this place. I will say yes to anything he wants. You love me, God? Yes. I will give you anything. 
I will trust you with every part of my life. There's just this sense of relinquishment and openness and gratitude with every part of who I am because I know I'm loved by him. And then there's a third aspect of it, and it is concern for others. You know, you've heard us use the phrase, hurting people hurt people. Loved people love people. It just, it just spills out. Loved people love people. I've seen it in so many ways just this week. You know, you hear these stories of these teams that have come back from Nepal and India and Guatemala, and you just see this compassion for other people that just spills out. Where does it come from? From being loved. We're going to have an opportunity to be able to continue to live this out as we as we ask God in this next season of ministry, what does that look like for us? And I want to just invite you as we uh, go a couple of different directions here. We're going to, as, as um, we conclude, give you an announcement in regards to what's happening in children's ministry. And there's wonderful opportunity for you to love and be involved in the lives of our kids. And this is a great season that's happening. Most of this announcement has to do Blue Valley with what's happening here at Prairie Village, but I think it pertains to you as well, too. What does it mean for me to live out of love? Let's not get engaged in ministry because we've got to do it to earn God's approval. Let's know that we're loved and then live it out with others. And then there'll be another opportunity on Tuesday as we gather together and we just try to figure out how do we love one another? What does it mean for us to worship together? Uh, as God's family here in this place. And I would invite as many of you as can be here on Tuesday night. Evelyn Johnson is walking us through a, uh, through a time for 90 minutes to just explore what does the next season look like in regards to how we do worship together as a family. And the first piece of that will be, how do we love each other? And how can we work together as we move forward in worship? Would you please pray with me as we conclude? Dear God, I thank you so much for, the, for what John knew about himself. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to figure out what it means for us to know that about you as well too. For us to begin with a name tag that says, I am loved by the Lord. And for that to be the central guide to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.